This is the fourth week in our series we've, taught, we, we've entitled Sync, and really has to do with synchronizing our lives with God uh, in order to live the kind of life that He wants us to live, not only that He wants us to live, but it's going to be the kind of life that gives us what we want most, the most fulfilling life that we can have. First week, we, we, we heard a message about uh, looking at our own gifts. All of us have strengths and weaknesses, things that we're good at, things that we're not good at. And usually, if we can identify those, we can become involved and do the things that we're naturally good at, which we're happier doing, are we not? Then we, we, um, we heard a message on prayer about the importance of prayer and syncing our lives up with God. And that really is conversing with God, sort of like on a telephone, how simple that is. It's not about eloquence, not, not about volume or anything else. It's about really uh, connecting with God through, through speaking to Him. And then the following week, we heard a message that had to do with the other end of that telephone conversation really is listening. And it had to do with the Bible and how God speaks to us through the Bible and helps us to know him and live the kind of way that's going to give us the life that we all desire. This week, we're going to hear a message on the importance of family and family life in in being in sync with God. Um, I thought, what would be a good way to illustrate this? How important family is to God. Now, I said, well, you know, when you talk to somebody, uh, if you talk to them at any, you know, for any duration, if they keep mentioning the same thing over and over again, you get an impression how important it is to them. So I decided to look up some words, not all the words that have to do with family, but just do a word search, which is really easy to do now with software and all that stuff, on how many times certain words appear in the Bible. Uh, I looked up the word in some uh, form, whether singular or plural, brother or sister, and I found that it appears some, some 854 times in the Bible. Son or daughter, 3,075 times. Some form of child or children, 543 times. And then mother and father, 1,680 four times. I know I should have listened to my mama more. You know, and then for a grand total, if I got the math right, 6,156 times these words that aren't all the words that refer to family in the Bible appear in the Bible. If you don't have a Bible and would like one, raise your hand. We, we hand these out every week at LifePoint. We want you to take it home. It's our gift to you. Uh, but raise your hand if you don't have one. Um, in this Bible, I looked how many pages there were in the Bible that we hand out here at church. It's 860 or so pages. Now, my Bible, which is a little bit bigger because the, as I've gotten older, I've had to do this more to read it. The font is a little bit bigger. It has about 1,050 pages. So whichever Bible you look at, if it's fancy or it's thick or, or thin, my point is this. Between the pages of this book... There's hardly a page you can turn to where some of these words are not mentioned. That's because to God, family is of the utmost importance. It's the place where we really learn how to do life, period. But more importantly, I think, learn how to receive love and learn how to give love. But ultimately, I think it's the place where God intends for our vision of him, our concept of him to be formed. And depending on how we were brought up in this family, 
Some of us think of family, we have pretty good memories, pretty healthy environment. Nobody's perfect, but others of us think of family and we may not even know our family or it may conjure up some dark, dark stuff for us. And all of us are somewhere in between. Well, that has so much to do with how we see God today. What do I mean? Well, I'll give you a personal example of growing up in, in, my, in my family. I grew up in what I term a bicultural environment. At home, uh, it was all Spanish-speaking. Spanish food, Spanish music, Spanish everything. Then I stepped out of that life, and I would go to school, and I would, you know, do my life, and it would all be English-speaking. So I had kind of one foot in each. Have you ever heard the term personal space? Well, personal space is something that psychologists have come up with to define the space that generally exists between two people when they converse, interact, whatever, whether it's a large crowd or or a small crowd. And generally in Western cultures like ours, they've they've spent millions of dollars on these studies and come up with the average personal space between two people interacting is about 24 and a half inches, so about two feet. So somewhere about, I guess, about like that. So if you go out in the lobby of the church or if you go to, you know, you look around in school or you go to your workplace, generally people, when they speak to one another, are about that far. If anybody comes a little bit closer, they invade that personal space and people start getting kind of squirrely and uncomfortable. Dude, you're invading my personal space. Well, growing up in my culture, there was no concept of personal space. In my culture, the Hispanic culture, it's a very touchy-feely thing. And, and, you know, the team that's coming back from Guatemala, if they didn't know it before and they, do, they know it now, when you meet somebody in, in that culture, you know, it's not uncommon just to hug, to give each other a peck on the cheek, ooh, uh, and, and all that stuff. It's very, very, very much about touchy-feely. So personal space is like this. Well, what does that have to do with my concept of God? Well, having been brought up in that environment, in my own immediate family, it's very easy for me to picture God as my father and me as a child, me jumping on his lap. It's very easy for me to hear songs like way back when uh, uh, I can only imagine what it would be. You remember that Mercy Me song? Well, if you don't know it, it was a song that came out and fairly successful, and I in my mind, I imagine seeing Jesus and just jumping on him. You know, not shaking his hand or, very nice to meet you, sir. You see, that's just one small example of something that has helped me, I think, have a healthy, uh, realistic view of God. Now, there's other things that are not so good that I've had to overcome. All of us in, in, the, in the concept, in, in the place of family we're raised up, we have, to, we have some strengths and weaknesses, but it affects us how we ultimately view God in our relationship with God. And that's why uh, family is of the utmost in, uh, importance to God. There's nothing, there's fewer things more tragic than not feeling wanted, uh, than feeling alone. You know, you just, all you got to do is go to a high school or any school or any organization and people are trying so hard to fit in dressing alike, 
saying they like the same stuff, you know, and, and just trying, if everybody wants to fit in, and it goes into college, same thing, and then when you get older, you get a little bit more sophisticated, but you're trying to do the same thing by driving the same car and all that kind of stuff. Everybody wants to belong, and there's nothing more tragic than not belonging. Uh, I read a biography recently about a, a woman, a diminutive woman about yay big that, uh, that started a movement in the 1930s that, that just kind of caught on like wildfire. She died in 97, but the movement continues to, to really do amazing things in this world for God. Her name was Mother Teresa. And she was a, a woman that, that decided that she was going to give her life and, and really in, inspire other people to give their lives to the lowest of the low in society. So she decided uh, to move to uh, Calcutta in India, a place where lepers were all over the place, unclean. Nobody wanted to touch them. So she started a uh, a place for lepers, and then she quickly noticed that people were dying on the sides of the road because there was people who didn't have family, who didn't have anything, were, were being placed on the side of the road or, or were just begging, and they just, they just die there. She said, this cannot be, and she started a house for the dying, and she was asked why you, you would do that, and she said, because there's nothing more tragic than to leave this life and believe that you're unwanted that you're not loved. That is not God. Well, this thing started spreading and everything else, and, and she had a chance to travel all over the world to start these places, and she had an opportunity to travel to the West, to first world nations like ours. And she made the following statement. She, she made the following observation. She said, here you have the welfare state. There's no need for people to go without and starve. But there's a different kind of poverty that I see. A poverty of the spirit. A poverty of loneliness. A poverty of being unwanted. You know, we're surrounded by a lot of people, even in this room. Everywhere we go, we're surrounded by people. Whether we're in a family or we're not in a family or whatever... We can live this life of crowded loneliness where we don't feel wanted, not really on the inside. You may be feeling that somewhat today. You may be feeling like somebody doesn't know you. Nobody really knows you. Nobody understands you. We can all relate to that, can't we? Even in this culture where we have everything we need. Well, God doesn't want that to be. God wants everyone to belong, everyone to feel wanted. I love, uh, my favorite description of God in the Bible is three words found in the New Testament. God is love. Okay, that's by far my favorite description of him. But there's one that comes close second or in the list, the top 10 list, and it's the one I'm about to read to you uh, that is found in Psalm 68, beginning in verse 5. God is described this way. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling, God sets the lonely in families. I love that. And if you've had any experience with God and you've uh, chosen to follow him, accept him, and you are a Christ follower, you know what I mean. He sets the lonely in families. Doesn't matter, matter what's around. He just, I, I can't explain it. He just does that. He's in the business of doing that. And it's the most important thing 
to him. And with this in mind, I want us to now have a redefinition of family using God's language. Because up to now, family conjures up something. I want us to to have it redefined for us. And I'll give you a little background of the verse that I'm about to read. This was a, a, a time when Jesus had been living in a family, and he was now 30 years old. He was an adult. And uh, up until this time, he had been working the family business, carpentry, and uh, we don't know what happened to Joseph. He could have died already, but we do know that Jesus' Jesus's mother and his brothers, he had physical brothers, were in this family. And back then in, in Jerusalem, family was, you know, communal living. You, you kind of were together, and family was honored and uh, a part of life in a way that really, I think, arguably is not as important now. So it was really held up. Well, Jesus was in this environment, and he was 30 years old when he started his public ministry. He, he begins to do what he really came to do, okay? So we pick up this story right about there in Mark chapter 3, verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Beelzebub. Beelzebub was another, was a name for Satan or the devil that they used back then. By the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. He's doing this by black magic. Verse 31, then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he said. Then he looked at those circled, uh, seated in a circle around him, and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my mother and sister, my, my, my brother and sister and mother. Okay, I don't know if you're like me, but my mom, if I was out doing something that she thought I was going to get in trouble for doing, it really didn't matter how old I was. Um, if, if I heard mama was looking for me, it could end like one of these, you know? <laughs> so to avoid the embarrassment of someone said, if I was doing something that I knew, you know, was I could get in trouble for, repercussions for, and, and I heard, hey, your mom's outside, and she's looking for you. I go, guys, you know, I'd be really, I try to be really cool and smooth about it. Hey, guys, I gotta, I gotta go, you know, but I... <laughs> well, Jesus is in this situation, and being accused of doing all this crazy stuff, and somebody comes in and says, hey, you know, they're out there. And I, get, I suppose they might have been expecting him to say, oh, got to stop the sermon. See you guys. See you next Sunday, you know, and then go off. But he didn't. He makes this, this absurd statement, who are, or he poses it a question. This, who are my mother, my brothers and sisters? Who are they? What? And then uh, he says, he starts to point those that were listening to what he was saying. And they said, 
these, this, this, is, this is my family, my mother, my brothers. And you think, what is he doing? Is he, is he saying that, okay, now that I started my thing, I'm going to abandon my mother and my brothers, my earthly family, because they don't matter. Is this an excuse to neglect, you know, the family whose blood runs through your veins? Not at all. I don't believe it is for a minute, because Jesus on the cross later on, you know, during his last gasp, and when he was nailed to this, this piece of wood, he, he, he moved himself up to catch some breath to be able to speak some words. He looked out in the crowd, and he saw his, one of his best friends, the only, the only guy that was there amongst all the women, and that was the apostle John. And he said, woman to his mother, he said, this is your son now. And he said, son, this is your mother now. What he was saying is, look, uh, John, take care of my mom. She's your responsibility. Jesus was a great son. If you want to learn how to really be a father, follow Christ. If you want to learn how to be a better brother or or sister, follow Christ. If you want to learn how to be a a better mother, follow Christ. It, It just, when you do that, you learn really in some senses how to really give without expecting in return. So Jesus is not for a minute saying that uh, this is an excuse now to forget everything and leave them alone, not pay attention to them. No, no, no. You know what he's saying? I believe what he's saying is that faith is thicker than blood. Faith is thicker than blood. Church is supposed to be a family, not an organization. Now, unfortunately, for most of us, it's just another thing that we have to do or a thing that we like to do, but it's tough to do. I'll talk about that in a moment. But church is supposed to be a, a family. There's a, there's a notable author and speaker. Uh, his name is Francis Chan, and he has a church out in California. And he tells a story about... Um, this guy who started to come out, to come out to his church, and he saw this guy just being transformed. Well, the guy was a, an L.A. gang member. And it was pretty rough gangs out there, you know? And this guy came out, and Francis loved him, because Francis, if you read any of his stuff or see him, he's very passionate. He said, this guy was so passionate. Every time he, he saw this guy, the guy would tell him how excited he was. And, you know, Francis just, out of all the people in that church, he remembered this guy. Well, a few weeks went by and then months and he didn't see this guy. So Francis went over to, um, to the guy who had brought this, this gang member. This gang member quit doing all that stuff and he, he, he decided to follow Christ and his life changed and all that. And he said, whatever happened, what, where's that guy? Did he quit coming? And, he, and the guy said, yeah, he, he quit coming. And he said, well, why did he quit coming? And he said, well, here's what he, he, he told me. He said, you know, when I first started coming out to the church and started hearing this, I said, man, this is just like the gangs. He says, because in the gang, when I, after I was initiated, I did everything with them. We ate together. We hung out together. We got into trouble together. We watched each other's backs. We would take a bullet for one another. We protected each other. I came to church, I started reading the book of Acts, and I said, wow, this this church thing is just like a gang. After a while, though, I realized it wasn't. 
So I decided to go back to the gang. You see, the devil has taken God's playbook on family. And the gangs are doing it a lot of times better than we are. Minus the drugs and murder and all that stuff. You know what I mean? But that's not how it's intended to be. There are over, well, arguably 56 times in the New Testament where the terms one another or each other are used in some way, shape, or form. What I mean is this. Love one another. Be at peace with each other. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. You know, on and on and on. 56 times this, this dynamic is mentioned. And it's mentioned in the uh, context of a family and how it's supposed to be done. This is what you're to do with each other and one another. And it's, it's, it's not sort of like a corporation where you're getting paid to go. You know what I mean? It's not an army where you have no, no say in it. It's, it's very much in a family setting. If we're living from Sunday to Sunday, it's very difficult to, to experience that, to be in sync with God in our family life, spiritual family life. As a matter of fact, if you're in the lobby, you can come in and maybe you see somebody you know and, and you have a chance to share with them and uh, maybe you're having a hard time, so you kind of share your heart, and they can encourage you, encourage one another. Maybe there's somebody else who comes up and says, I got I mean, to tell you something that's on my heart. I did. I'm really, it's, it's not good or whatever. Maybe they confess. So maybe you, you get an, a chance to exercise maybe two or three of these each other or one another dynamics on the way in and out. But again, that's not going to create the kind of family life that I believe God intends for every one of us that he sets us lone, the lonely, the lonely one, of, he sets us in families, excuse me. He wants us to be in a family where we're interacting in that way. You know, here we, we, we have life groups. And life groups, if you're visiting with us, are just small groups that meet throughout the week. They get together and have a chance to exercise these one another dynamics or learn about the, the Bible, learn about prayer, pray with each other, just talk, just to hang out, break bread together. As, as was talked about earlier. They're really small churches. And if you're not a member of a life group, I encourage you, I challenge you to find one. Make it happen. Oh boy, another thing for my schedule, Mr. Preacher Man. You know, the most valuable commodity that exists in our culture is not gold or silver, it's time. Who of us has extra time. Raise your hand if you have extra time. You'll be stoned on the way out. <laughs> you know, we got all this technology supposed to open up our time. And what does it do? It almost gets us killed. They got to pass a law so we don't text while we're driving. And many of us break that law. You know what I mean? It just, now we got less time. We don't have time. How do I do this? Well, we need to reorder life in order to make time for family. We need to reorder life. We can't, exp the, biggest, the biggest lie, the, the, the bill of goods that we're sold is, you know what, this is just temporary, it'll change. Let me tell you something, it never changes. Don't just get loads of more time on your, in your life. It just doesn't happen. And when it comes to family, 
great family doesn't just happen, whether you're talking about the 2.5 kids in the picket fence or whether you're talking about a church family. It just doesn't happen. It really takes sacrifice. It really takes intentional effort. I remember um, my wife and I, you know, when our kids were younger, I remember thinking, okay, this is crazy. Uh, I need help. So I I sort of put into practice that one another stuff. uh, And I went to some people who were Christ followers whose, whose families I had seen and observed and I invited them into my life. I didn't, they didn't just parachute in and say, you're going to do it this way. No, no, I went to them. I said, what, what is your secret? Your family is like unbelievable. And they, they were quick to say, oh, no, they're not. You don't see the dirt. Nobody's perfect. And that drew me even more into their lives and said, man, well, how do you get that imperfection? Because mine's, you know, really perfect. What do we do here? And they said, okay, well, Let's think, and they asked me some questions about my life, and, and our life, and, and uh, one of the things I, I never forget they told me was, you know, make it your goal to have dinner together as a family. I said, you don't understand, my kids are so brilliant that we got to save the world, and I, I've gotta, they've got to be fulfilled and do all the things I didn't do, and, that. and they said, no, 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 wait a second. Okay, start off maybe twice a week. Maybe three times a week, make it your goal to do it every day. Now, we know it's not going to happen as kids get older and life gets crazier. A lot of times it, you, it can't happen, but that should be the exception rather than the rule. So I said, we said, okay. So we, we reordered life and we said, okay, let's, let's take this time, whether it's going to be 20 minutes, 30 minutes, or an hour, and we're going to make this dinner time and we're going to sit around the table and we're going to stare at each other's eyeballs. <laughs> and you know, first few times it was one of these you know, somebody had some music they wanted to be listened to or some important program like Rugrats they wanted to be they couldn't miss an episode for some you know it was this but little by little something funny started happening those those folded arms started to kind of come down a little bit and then it would be something as simple as well everybody let's share a good thing and a bad thing that we that happened to us today and before you know it you know we're we're sort of one, one child is hogging up all the time. Oh, it's my turn, you know. And then, and then we found ourselves really wanting to share and laughing. And sometimes it was time for serious talks. But, but we, got, we got to the point where I think it was so important. We really grew to enjoy it. It took a sacrifice because we could be doing other things like answering emails, you know, or, or other things, texting, you know. But, but we, we, we reconnected. In the middle of this crazy thing called life, we would reconnect and talk about each other. We got to build, it built our family. In a, and I appreciate whoever it was, I don't even remember, who, who said, hey, why don't you try this? But that same principle holds true to, to our life as, as being brothers and sisters with the same father sitting at the end of the table. It calls for sacrifice. If we just try to do it from, month, from Sunday to Sunday, it's not as apt to, to, to happen. It takes a reordering of life, an intentionality of life. The last thing I'll leave with you is, on a positive note, th- those sacrifices, if you take these challenges and you, 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 you go to people who know you, who are, who, 
who can help speak into your life and maybe provide some direction, or if you can do that to other people, it's invaluable. And that's when we'll see the reward of family. The reward of family. Listen in Jesus' words what he says about if we do do this, make those kinds of sacrifices, what will happen? I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one, no one, not a one, who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions. It's not easy, by the way. And in the age to come, eternal life. If we make those sacrifices, if we realize, God, this isn't just about my little concentric circle, if that's the right term. This is so much bigger than that. That's why we call you father. That's why you're our dad. That's why you, you communicate symbolically with us that way. That's who you are. If we do this, we will receive what? A hundred times? An exponential amount of whatever we sacrifice? I can tell you from personal experience that I've seen it over and over and over again. In my own life, I've had more motherly advice that saved my wife lots of grief. And I've given her lots of grief, but it would have even been worse. If you husbands, young husbands, or single men wanting to get married, or young guys want to find somebody to look up to, if you want to, if you want to find out how to do it and not do it, talk to any husband in this room, because we've made more mistakes than anybody. If you want to learn how to be a father, go to someone who is doing it God's way, not perfectly, but has made more mistakes than you. It's a lot easier to learn from the mistakes that someone else made than it is to make them yourself. If you want to learn how to be a son or a daughter and say, I just, I'm having trouble here. Talk to somebody who's, who's, who's been through it and will go through it again and maybe they can help you. My point is this, when you see someone who follows Christ, that you, you, you look at their life and they seemingly have, they're in sync with God, they're, they're synchronized with him somehow, they're not perfect, but they have this peace, this joy, and this fulfillment, you, you, you latch on and take a look. But if you look closely enough, you're not going to just see them. It's like the Verizon guy. If you look closely, you might have to look close. You look behind them, and you'll see a whole army of folks with hard hats, tools, women in dresses, men in suits. You'll see a whole army of folks that went in to helping that imperfect person sync up with God. I encourage you. No matter where, you, where you're at, maybe you're blessed today and you're surrounded by family, we'll spread that. Maybe you're living a life of crowded loneliness where you're surrounded by a lot of people, but no, but you don't feel like you're connecting, you belong, you're wanted. That's not from God. 
Open yourself up. Reorder life. Make the sacrifices and wait on God to reward it. Let's pray. Father, we uh, address you as our father, our dad, and oftentimes we don't even know what that means, even in our immediate families. And uh, we've got baggage that we bring in or strengths that we bring in. And Father, we just pray that you open wide our hearts to see what family is supposed to be like. We we want to be the kind of family and enjoy the kind of family and take advantage of the benefits of family life that you have promised us, not only eternal life, but in this age, in this present age. Thank you for your words, your wisdom, and thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.